Welcome to Living on the Exhale, a podcast designed to help us find inspiration, laughter, and growth in the messy middle of our lives. Each week, we explore ideas, inspiration, stories, and experiences that help us to grow, connect, and learn. So, if you're in need of a weekly dose of inspiration, laughter, and a reminder that you're not alone in this crazy journey called life, then this podcast is for you. And at the end of every podcast, there's a meditation to help calm your soul. I'm Stacey Berkovitz, your host, and together we find peace and embrace life one breath at a time. Happy holidays, Exhalers. I hope you're doing great during this December holiday season. Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, and just wishing you wonderful peace this time of year. I wanted to let you know that on my website, I have a free resource to help you take care of yourself this season. Spend some time with your own self-care. If you go to my website on the excel.com, there is a free Calm Code self-care exploration workbook. Grab it. It's for you. There's also a free 30-day Calm Code self-care challenge. So both of those are there. They're free and they're really just there to support you during this time. Sending you lots of love. Happy holidays again. Today's guest is Brianna Aljets. She's a real estate educator, a mom of a 12-year-old, a wife of Cody, and they live in Colorado. She's been in the real estate environment for 16 years, following in the footsteps of her mom, who's a realtor for 31 years. She definitely has a passion for wellness and understands the importance of a harmonious lifestyle. She had an experience, which you're gonna hear, about when her husband was diagnosed with cancer, with stage four cancer, and what she learned from that. And there are some really good takeaways that I know will resonate with many of you. So I'm happy to introduce to you Brianna Aljets. Welcome, Excellers, and welcome, Brie slash Brianna Aljets. We've learned that Brie was. She thought when she got older, Brianna was going to be the sophisticated way to go. But I mean, you got to love the name Brie because it's like cheese and cheese is amazing. So I don't know. We'll we'll maybe go between Brie and Brianna. That's perfect. I Like I said, I thought, oh, when I get older, I'll be Brianna. Well, I'm older and it hasn't stuck. And it's funny. I also love cheese, but unfortunately, I feel like Brie is my least favorite cheese and it sort of bums me out. Same. It would be so great if it wasn't because you could potentially be a spokesperson for brie cheese everywhere. But right. yeah, it's, it's my least favorite too. Although brie cheese with like honey dripped on top, not bad. I was going to say, I do like the honey. I don't think I like it when it's like the big sliced chunks, like on a cold sandwich. Sometimes yes. if it's warm with crackers and honey, I like it. Maybe it's just because it's uh, complicated like I am. <laughs> Well, listen, hot cheese, if I had to pick, give me hot cheese or cold cheese, hot cheese always. I just like the meltiness. I mean, not like sitting in your car, hot cheese, but like 
Right. You know, like you cook on a stovetop or yeah. Yeah. So hot brie is really the only way to go. Cold brie is a disappointment, but Brianna Aljets is wonderful. Brie Aljets is wonderful. And we were just talking before we started recording, we both have naturally curly slash wavy hair. And we were talking about the, the joys and woes. So right. what is, and by the way, this episode is not about curly hair or about brie cheese, but I feel like these are two really important points that we need to start with. So tell me about your curly hair journey really quickly. Um, I'll, I'll shorten it. So I had wavy hair as a kid, but you know, that wasn't always cool. Big hair was cool. So I would blow dry it and sort of try to straighten it before straighteners actually worked like they do these days. And then I kind of rocked it for a little while, had my son and after pregnancy, it was just like straw. It would like not have any wave to it. It just dried out. And then almost a year ago now, I ran into a friend and her hair looked amazing. And I was like, what are you doing? And she was like, the curly girl method. And I was like, the what, the what? So she sort of like told me and, you know, it's like, get out of the shower with your hair sopping wet and put the gel in it like this and do this. And I feel like it kind of helped my wave and sometimes curls come back, but like we were saying, some days it's good, some days it's bad. And if you really got somewhere to be, then like we said, the control freak in me wants control of the hair. So I style it and I don't really always let it do its own thing. Okay. Well, first of all, your hair looks fabulous. And second of all, I have realized if I'm getting, getting pictures taken, I look better with straight hair. Like I look tired sometimes with curly hair. It's almost like the curls align with the bags under my eyes. And it's oh, like, shut up. No, I'm totally not kidding. Like I look at pictures of curly hair. I'm like, I look 20 years older and that I haven't slept for 15 days. And then with straight hair, I'm like, oh, I look seven years older. And like, I've only slept, you know, that I had a, a good night's rest or a semi good night's rest. Yeah, it's something about it. But I also have learned so much about curly hair in the last two years, because I am also, um, I think we grew up in the same era where it was like, straighten or perm your hair, and then like make it big. But curl it. For, I mean, I remember ironing my hair on the ironing board. Like that was talk about like pre-straightener days, like archaic straightener days. Oh my gosh, my poor well, hair. Let some of it go curly, but then like straighten those like front pieces. Oh yeah. That was hot. <laughs> that was hot. That was the thing. That literally was the thing for a while. Um, anyway, so now what I do is like, I straight, I kind of alternate and it's been raining in Texas. Where are you at in the world? I'm in Colorado. I'm like four hours, somewhat South but more west of Denver in a small mountain town. So I'm closer to the Utah border. Oh, what mountain town are you in? Gunnison. Okay. I've never heard of it, but I applaud I'm south it. of Crested Butte, which some okay. people recognize Crested Butte. That's where the ski area is, which Crested Butte is actually about 12 miles from Aspen, but that's as the crow flies. It's over the continental divide. So it takes a long time to get to Aspen because you have to go around. And no idea. Well, you're very lucky and I'm super envious. Not only is your name cheese, but you live by mountains. So that's, I don't know, Brie, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this interview without like my jealousy seeping through, but, um, okay. So curly hair. So last, last comment on the curly hair. So I alternate it, but also I learned, yes, you have to style it when it's super wet. Otherwise you're dealing with fro McJoe and, you have to find the right products for your hair because if you don't, 
it doesn't look like curly. It's just, it's a thing. Like people don't realize if they're like, your hair is so pretty and curly. If a curly hair person's like, it just naturally goes that way. Lies, all lies. There's something that person is doing. There's an art and you have to kind of figure that art out. And when you were saying that when you get pictures taken, you straighten it. So I normally blow dry mine and then I like curl it. So just kind of the ends have some, and every time the last handful of times I've gotten photos taken, that's how I've done it. But I just got photos done this last weekend and I let it go natural. So now I'm anxious to see them. Okay. You'll have to, well, first of all, you don't look like you, you look like you've slept. You don't look like me when I have my curly hair, but you will have to let me know. I would like a full report. I will. I want to report back to my excellers if your pictures with curly hair were a win. Okay. okay. I, I okay. can see right. side by side. And I was just trying to be more natural in them. They're more for like social media than like professional websites. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to be a little more laid back. We'll see how Okay. Yeah. I, can, I, I get that feel. I get that feel. I went out to dinner I have my son's wedding is this weekend and I went out to dinner about a month ago with my friend and I was sporting the like, let it go curly look with just a little bit of product on it, thinking it looked kind of okay. And she was like, make sure to straighten your hair for the wedding. Do not wear it like that. And I was like, noted, noted. That's a good friend. That's a very good friend. Karina, that's a shout out to you. Thank you. Honesty is the best policy. Like if I put on something ugly, don't tell me it looks good. I hate that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like it. Brie, that's yeah, not like your it, color. That's not flattering. Perfect. I'm going to put on something else. Yeah. If you're not wearing the right color, then you're not going to earn your Brianna status. You're just straight to Brie, right? <laughs> exactly. Brianna wears a hat with a feather. Hey, I, and, I, and faux I got <laughs> Do you? Okay. Did you wear those in the picture? All right. Anyway. Okay. So moving on to our topic today. So Brie is amazing. We met in this mindset program and uh, we liked each other instantly, and we probably talked about hair at that point too. I think. I think we did. We did. We connected on hair. Anyway, Brie has a podcast. What's the name of your podcast? What's the cheese? Oh my gosh, that's right. It is. What's the cheese? What else would it be? <laughs> what else would it be? That's like perfect. Okay, I'm tuning in soon. Um, okay, but we are talking actually about something kind of intense today, like kind of serious and also kind of uplifting. So hang on tight. Um, Bree, Bree's husband, how long have you been married? We've been married 12 years together, 17. That's you put in your time. You've served your time. I have put in my time. You put in my, yes. Does your husband love your hair? I digress. No, you don't have to answer that. Uh, yeah, he is like, I don't know why you ever heat styled your hair, but he is a very, very natural. He would prefer me in sweatpants to a dress. He's one of those guys. So it is Colorado. It is. It is. It is. Okay. So you're, you've been together 17 years, married 12, and you had some interesting stuff come up four years ago. And I'm just going to let you kind of share your journey of what happened with your husband and, and just go just, just, share the, share the journey and I'll, I'll ask questions here and there. Cool. Um, so I'll just kind of, well, like, I mean, oh my gosh, see, then I get all stuttery. Here we go. So I guess it was about three and a half years ago as ever, well, pending where you were in the country, where we're at our world shut down due to COVID. I don't even like to say that word, but, um, March of 2020 and then April, 2020 rolled around. Um, and my husband went for a colonoscopy because he was, 
having some signs. And unfortunately, we learned through that that he had stage four colorectal cancer. So that was a uh, a huge punch to the gut, punch in the face, whatever you want to say. At the time, our son was four. Yeah, four. Yes. Um, wow. So it was a it was a fast process. He was only thirty nine at the time. Um, unfortunately, turned forty, sick as a dog on the couch, and went through all of that. And I won't get into all of the details, but you know, traditional chemotherapy, radiation, surgery, and we also used a lot of alternative routes, which I highly recommend and loved like acupuncture and naturopaths, um, homeopaths, those sorts of things. And I, my biggest thing, I'm a nutritionist. I may or may not have said that was to kind of assemble a team of people around us, around us in like a 360 that could touch every single aspect. So we did that. Um, and then gratefully he was pronounced. Um, but now they say no evidence of disease instead of cancer free because there could still be disease, but from what they can see, there is none. And that was end of July, 2020. So it was a very fast process. So since then, we've just kind of been, you know, it, it, when it happens to you when you're in your 30s, it really makes you take a step back and think, am I spending life the way I want to? Am I doing the things I want? You know, where do I want to put my energy? And so we kind of reevaluated all of that. He was actually a firefighter EMT at the time and had always had a passion for art. That's what he went to school for and metal art specifically. So um, after he left the EMT world, I was like, here's your shot. Like, go for it. Be the artist because otherwise you're going to get in some other career path and it might not be what you want. And then you're just going to hold off. And it also sort of, I have stayed in the same career lane. I am a real estate educator of all things, um, but it really helped me too, to kind of direct where I really wanted to focus on that. And, you know, just changing our lifestyle and going through grief and trauma and, you know, our plan when we, we moved in our, oh, before that we moved into our new home, February, 2020 COVID hit March. He was diagnosed. My plan after we moved in our home was to start trying for baby number two, and of course, God, the universe, whatever, however you want to put it, had other plans. So also kind of dealing with the grief of, I don't want to say the loss of a baby because I was never pregnant with number two, um, but it's just grieving the life that you had planned has been challenging. Um, but like I said, I really see it as a bittersweet thing because I think we've done a lot of things that we never would have done, or we would have waited until we were 65, 70 and maybe not enjoyed it as much as we did because we wouldn't have, you know, as much mobility and those sorts of things. So that's, that's sort of it in a nutshell. Okay. So I have questions. I have a yeah. question. So first thing you talked about was he was having some signs. Can you expand on that a bit? What did that look like? Yeah. The, um, I mean, the biggest thing is he was bleeding when he was going to the bathroom. Um, and that's, you know, generally the biggest indicator. He actually did go to a doctor to have that checked out and he was told it was a hemorrhoid. So um, this is everybody's PSA that if you are bleeding when you're going number two, don't write it off. Um, and I would highly recommend get a second opinion. I think sometimes we only hear get a second opinion when you heard something negative because you want to hear the positive. 
but I think it needs to go in reverse. Sometimes when you hear the positive, maybe you need to go get another opinion and make sure that it's in fact not negative because doctors are humans just like me and you. And unfortunately we make mistakes. So that was the biggest thing. And then towards like before he got the colonoscopy, it was pretty, I mean, he was nauseous. He was, I noticed he was exhausted a lot more easy. Um, so there were some other things that kind of bifolded on top of that, but the bleeding was the number one thing that came up. And I'm going to ask this in a, like maybe a graphic way a little bit. Um, but when we're talking bleeding, because I feel like this is a question, maybe some, a listener or two or all will have, are we talking like you're sorry, this is kind of gross, but sitting on the toilet and like blood is gushing out of your butthole, or is it like you wipe and there's a little evidence of blood? Um, <laughs> so actually, and uh, uh, maybe I'm going to go into too much detail on this, but obviously when you have loved ones go through things or yourself, you've got to learn maybe more than you want about poop and all sorts of other things. Um, so in his case, it ended up being like blood, like coming out bright red and part of that was because his tumor was so low in his rectum mm -hmm. and so a lot of times sometimes people don't always notice the bleeding because if it's happening up higher in your digestive tract by the time it's coming out it's brown um but it can also be kind of like intertwined into your poop i'll just call it what it is um but his was obvious there was blood in the toilet that was bright red. Okay. Okay. Well, I think it's important to note that because these things that used to be like so faux pas to talk about, you know, and it's really important because it's so easy to brush things off. It is fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's just especially something funny, especially men. Yeah. Especially I do the men. same thing now because I'm paranoid and I'm like, I don't want to deal with what he did. So it, it's fine. I'm fine. It's, it's all fine. Ooh, let's talk a little bit about that. Like the denial, like the, the blocking out factor. Talk to me about, because you, you mentioned grief, you mentioned trauma. <clears throat> talk to me about what you were going through as a wife during this time. Um, and maybe what he was going through as a husband with what he communicated to you. Yeah. And unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, the way that I coped, dealt, whatever you want to call it. I buried my head in work. I worked way too much. I would find, I mean, I would just sit on my computer and refresh my email. Like somebody, somebody reaching out, anybody need anything? What can I do? And I wish that I wouldn't have done more of that. And I wish that in the morning or in the evening or in the afternoon, I would have spent that time like laying in bed with him, but I couldn't do it because as we know, our brains do everything they can to protect us and keep us safe. And so by laying next to him, it created this, oh my God, what if I lose him? I'm not going to be able to handle it. And then I would cry and I didn't want him to see me cry. I don't know why. I think it's because I was like, well, he's the one that's really suffering. And so I don't want to make it worse. So I played this avoidance game, just like you said, denial and denial is a I've looked into it more and obviously Stacy, obviously, you know, this I'm sure, but like, it is insane what denial can do for you. I mean, it is like a, I don't want to call it like a diagnosis, but it is, I mean, it literally is your brain's way of like, we're going to stay over here because we want to be safe and we don't want to have to deal with that. And then it turns out afterwards, the way things have come up is like, he obviously was also dealing with a lot. 
Um, I mean, he was crawling to the bathroom. He couldn't pick up a glass of water. I didn't know these things because he would hide in the bedroom and I would either go to the office and I had a, thank God, our, um, the woman who watched our son was a retired nurse. And so I knew if something happened, she was there. She was 65 years old. She was amazing. She was a godsend. So she would watch my son and sort of keep after my husband if he needed anything. But I just wish I wouldn't have done that. But unfortunately, we can't go back and beat ourselves up on the what ifs and the shoulds. Um, but I do it on a regular basis. <laughs> well, it's interesting. You said something like denial is the new fentanyl. Like it's one of those things that it just, you feel like it's going to help you in the moment. And sometimes it's your nervous system just trying to protect itself because the pain is, is too much. And you you subconsciously know that denial is the way to, to cope. And so there's no beating yourself up because you, you were doing the best you could in the moment. And right denial is a coping mechanism. I mean, it's part of the stages of grief. So did you have an angry stage? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. And unfortunately the angry stage is what has most lingered because I think, like I said, I'm angry because I wanted another baby. I'm angry because that's not the way I pictured life going. Um, and so the anger part, I think, is probably what still protrudes the most. And I um, I try to remind myself, and I can't remember who told me this, but like when you're a kid, you daydream about getting married and having babies and working your dream job or driving a certain type of car. But as a kid, you don't imagine like, the, the what ifs and the bad things that are going to happen. And so I think that's just natural that when those things happen, it's like WTF, like this wasn't planned. Why is this happening? But that we don't, as a child, you're not going to dream up those negative and the shitty times in life. So it's just kind of working through that and knowing that like nobody's life goes according to plan. And if your life is going to according to plan, then call me because I'd like to talk to you. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I would like to get on that plan. Although no growth happens on that plan. Let's be real. You are so right. I have grown more in the last three and a half years than I grew in probably the 10 years before that. Yeah. It's funny. Cause it's, it's not the present you want to open, but it's the present, you know, you need. And Ooh, I like that. Yeah. You've heard it first year. I'm doing a mic drop. Like I'm dropping my yeah. I'm like yeah. I love that. (laughs) Okay, so the anger, very yes. And you talked a little bit about the sadness. You would avoid being sad. You'd avoid lying next to your husband because those feelings of sadness would come up. Were there any other times you were dealing with the sadness part? Oh yeah, Um, I spent a lot of time at one a.m., three a.m., twelve in the afternoon. For some reason, the, the bathroom was like my spot right on the rug, right in front of my bathroom sink. Um, that that's my that was my my go to. Um, and I also think <clears throat> crying also. I mean, there were days, especially afterwards, like when my husband was feeling better and, you know, I would just tell him, like, 
I'm going to go cry now. And he'd be like, oh my gosh, not again. Like, please. And I'm like, no, like, I just have to let it out. Just please let me go cry. <laughs> and I still have those moments. Um, I've also always been probably, you know, if you're looking at a scale of one to 10 on an emotional person and five is in the middle, I've always been on the high range, even prior to this. So it just kind of added, but I have learned like, sometimes I just got to cry and let it out. And then honestly, I generally feel better after I'm done because I just, I, I let it go. That Yeah, absolutely. It's a release. It's an absolute release. So you went through the denial, you went through the anger. I'm sure the shock, you know, initially was there like he has what? Um, and then the sadness, did you get to a point of acceptance? And I know grief is not linear. It's not like check. Okay. Done with the anger stage. Okay, let's see what's next. Oh, sadness. You know, okay, check. So obviously there's no there's no straight line in grief. There's no time. There's no real timeline. It's all over the place. However, did you ever come to a point where you felt some acceptance with what was going on? I just got to say first, I'm glad you brought that up about the grief because I think, you know, I even remember back to like middle school and health class when they talk about the stages of grief and it's always presented in a way that like this happens, then this happens, then this, and then you accept it and you move on. And that is absolutely not how it goes. So obviously anyone that has been through grief knows that, but anyone who hasn't, I hope you never do, but when you do, it's going to be all over the board. Um, yes and no. I think, um, I think I'm getting there. And I think what has really helped, honestly, is my husband. He's awesome. Um, I actually asked him, I don't know when it was, it was a handful of months ago. I said, if you could go back and change it, how would you change it? And he said, I wouldn't. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, I, it changed my life for the better and I'm embracing it and I'm moving on. And that was what really helped me to know that like, dang, if he wouldn't go back and change it, why should I be lingering on this and feeling like I want to go back and make a change? And so <clears throat> I just need to accept it and be okay with the fact that it happened. I think the biggest part about cancer or any you know disease is that you watch your loved one suffer and you suffer and then you get through it and it's so hard not to think like that could happen again any day. And I'm going to be sucked right back in to that grief and that shitty feeling and the stomach ache and the, I want to throw up. I want to puke. I don't want to eat. Whereas I know people that have been through other sorts of trauma, um, like car accidents or, you know, terrible burns. Um, I have a great friend who was in a fire and lost a limb and that is tragic in itself, but I think you're not thinking like, oh, that could have, could someone be burnt twice? Absolutely. But I think that's what makes it a little bit different is that I, I don't, and I can't speak for that because I haven't been through something else, but I don't think there's that lingering thought of like, okay, any day it could be back. It's like, we went through that it's done. And I wish that I could approach it a little more that way. And that's how my husband looks at it. He's like, we did that. It's done. If it comes back, I'll deal with it. But until then, I'm going to live my life and not let it bog me down. And he said over and over, he's like, I know it affected you more than me in a mental standpoint. Physically, he will, I mean, he'll never be the same. So. Okay. So a couple of thoughts on what you just shared. The first thing is, it sounds like 
he's at a different level of acceptance and you're still exploring acceptance and that's okay. That's okay. Right. So we're not all on the same journey, even though you two are together, you said that, um, you, you, you kind of were speaking high level about trauma and how you're always, when's the other shoe going to drop? And that mentality is so normal when you experience what you've experienced. So how do you deal with that? Um, How do you deal with that type of trauma in like a practical way, knowing it's going to come up? Um, That's the loaded question that (laughs) that I'm still working on, because I think just like you said, it kind of is that way for all of us. And I think I was talking about this to a friend just the other day. Like I have these moments where like work is going well. Our child is in a great mood. Things are going well with Cody. And then unfortunately, instead of me like embracing that and being like, oh my gosh, I feel so good. I'm living in the present. It's like, I'm like, okay, what's, what's going to go wrong. And so what I've really tried to do in those moments, like sort of, well, it's, I guess it's not a lame example. I just got a new, well, a new to me car. It's not a new, new. I drove it. I don't know, 3000 miles check engine light comes on. It's a catalytic converter, not a, not a cheap fix. And so I was getting down about it. I started crying. Cause I was so frustrated. I'm like, why, like, why, why can't things just go well? And then I was like, okay, Brie, you're going to turn this around. You have the ability to take it to a dealer you have the money to get it fixed. You have a great vehicle. It just has a couple, I think I got a lemon, unfortunately, but like you have the means to fix it. Somebody else might not have the means. And so that's where I'm trying to get is like turning around the thoughts into what is working for me and what is going well. And I actually have a reminder that goes off in my phone. Well, it varies. Someday it says to breathe. Some days it says to remember what you're grateful for. And I'm working really hard when the grateful notification comes up to be, remember like the very small things and not think high level. Like I'm grateful for my family. I more try to think like, I'm grateful that I have filtered water in my home that I can drink. And I'm grateful that water gets hot so I can take a shower and just kind of honing in on more of like the small details than staying at a big level. And like I said, I literally just started this. Well, the grateful thing has been in my phone for a while, but getting to the point where I can break it down into very small pieces. And when something shitty happens, reversing out of it and thinking, okay, what do I have the ability to control and help in these situations? And what am I grateful for that I can move forward? And at the end of the day, a car, it's a big piece of metal. It's not a person. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, that's great perspective. I talked in episode two for anyone who's interested um, about the nervous system and ways to calm the nervous system. And one of the ways we talk about like when we're in that high stress fight or flight mode is, is breath work, right? That's one way. And another way that I don't think we touched on in that episode, but is gratitude. And sometimes when I'm overwhelmed and I'll go take a walk and I will literally, because you talked about being so specific, I will literally start naming things as I'm walking, like, I am grateful that person mowed their lawn so beautifully. I'm grateful for the shade that this tree is providing me in the hot sun. I'm grateful for the changing colors on the leaves. Oh, I am grateful for the funny poster 
not poster, but like thing hanging on the door. Oh, I, I'm grateful that that person checks their mail every day. Or, I mean, just, okay. That last one was lame, but you get it. So yeah. it's, it's, the, it's really, it takes you out of that spin, the spin mm-hmm. in our minds it, and it, it cycles it back to like a great, uh, grateful, uh, a happier plane to be on using gratitude. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, trauma is, it's not an easy thing. Did you, did you go to therapy for it? Yes. Thankfully I actually had a therapist prior to, because I had postpartum depression that I pushed under the rug until my son was two years old. And then I won't get into all that. There's that denial. That yeah, it is a beautiful thing. Um, and so I'm so grateful that I ha- already had an established relationship with her and was still talking to her on her. Actually, she was one of the first, I think she was one of the first three to five people. I know the first five that I called and she answered, of course, we didn't have a phone call set up. Um, but she took 10, 15 minutes to talk to me. And then we scheduled, you know, an hour long call shortly after that. And I still talk to her on a regular basis and she has been monumental Um, and my growth and my healing because they're professionals and they study it and they know ways to tell you to help. And I tell this to people because I have people that say, oh, you know, therapists are for weak people or people that can't deal. And I'm like, no, actually it's the other way around. You have to be really strong in my opinion to go to a therapist because it means that you have to be willing to do the work. You have to be willing to let that stuff come up. You have to be willing to express here's how I'm feeling and here's why I'm feeling. And they ask you questions and it's hard sometimes because you're like, I don't really want to talk about that, but that's the way you get through it. You've got, you've got to talk about it. You can't just let it sit and muster because it boils over just like my postpartum did, just like other things in my life have. Yeah. So it sounds like therapy was monumental and important for you during this time. Yeah. And acupuncture has been a big one that I actually didn't try until I guess that was probably about a year and a half, two years ago that I started doing that. And just recently I've committed, I go almost twice a month and I am of needles. I don't like needles. Oh, wow. It's, it's amazing. I just close my eyes. I don't look, I sweat like a dog. Do dogs sweat? Whatever that you get what I'm saying. Like I sweat every time. I can visually see it. I can visually see a dog sweating. (laughs) So what does it do? What has it done for you with your grief or trauma or relax? Like, what do you feel like acupuncture has done for it? Um, I feel like part of it, honestly, I owe to my acupuncturist. She is a, she's an empath and I feel like she just she gets it. She understands. She asks questions. She's very soothing. Her energy is amazing. And I literally come out of there. I mean, actually my treatment, I guess it was last week, week before, like I came out of there and I was laughing at her and I'm like, I feel like I can't pick my feet up. Like it just creates this like calming effect. And really I like it because when I'm on the table, I know that nobody's going to distract me. Nobody's going to interrupt me. And I like massage as well, but the acupuncture has a little bit more for me of like a nervous system, mental help. Um, whereas massage to someone is constantly touching you with the acupuncture. She places the needles and then she leaves me in the room with like calming music. And, oh, she has this heat lamp that she puts on my feet. Cause I'm always cold. And I just, I love it. So I just kind of lay there and zen out. 
Oh, that's great. With needles in you. So you've come a long way, Brie. You've come a long way. Once they're placed, you don't feel them. And sometimes even when they place them, you don't feel it. Sometimes you do though, feel that little pinprick and something about it. I don't love, but I've learned to love it. So anybody that's like, ah, oh, that freaks me out. Just go. And I will tell you the first time I went, cause I told her, I said, I'm scared of needles. I've never done this. And she was like, you know what? We're going to start with the needles in your back. So there's no chance that you can see them. The back is less sensitive. So for anyone that's wanting to try it, I would recommend doing that. And she even said, she's like, if I place one and you really start sweating or you're not, she was like, just tell me, we'll just go at your speed. And then I went back and the rest is history, I guess. They the say. rest is history. <laughs> now you're all about it. That's okay. Good, good acupuncture advice. Start with the back. So what would you tell, what advice would you give Let's let's do twofold on this. What advice would you give somebody who receives the diagnosis? That's maybe more of a question for your husband, but maybe you can speak to that. And then what would you advice would you give to the partner of the person getting the diagnosis? Um to the person being diagnosed. And yeah, I'm kind of speaking through my husband's eyes and anyone else's eyes. I think because he said this. I think that one of the big things is to sort of, and it's so, so hard in that situation, but to sort of take a step back for a minute and make sure that the treatment plan that you're choosing, the doctors that you've aligned yourself with, um, the non-traditional doctors you've aligned yourself with, make sure that you feel comfortable and confident in that um, because they, they generally try to make it very rush, rush, like it's stage four. We have to start chemo immediately. We'll get you in tomorrow to put the chemo port in. And you, it's like this whirlwind. And then in hindsight, he's like, man, I I sort of wish that maybe I would have tried this first, or I would have taken a week and done some other research just because, like I said, there are physical effects that linger in for a patient, whether it's from the chemo or the surgery or the radiation. And a lot of them are irreversible. There's no changing that. Whereas I think, um, and I don't know that he would have done something different, but I think he wishes he would have taken a bit of a step back, but he was like, the doctors acted like it was, so it was, I mean, it was stage four. He had a four-year-old and a wife and he was 39 years old. So of course you're like, okay, let's do it. And I think um, leaning on people and uh, that's also for the the caregiver or the spouse or the the loved one that's supporting them, um, leaning on people and making sure that you ask for help. Uh, again, like I said, I'm a bit of a control freak. I didn't want to ask for help. I was more of like a macho man. I'm going to do it all. And you just, you can't, like literally you can't because your brain when you're that, when you're at that level of stress, your brain doesn't function the same. It can't remember things. Um, so just ask for help. Even if that's like, can you go to the grocery store and pick up my groceries and come put them in my pantry? Can you come over and, you know, we've got to go out. it. That's the other thing. Sometimes you're traveling a lot. So just aligning people to help you. And when someone says, how can I help? Tell them. And I remember I had a woman one day and she said, literally, what can I do? And I said, I'm embarrassed to say this. And she's like, no, what, what can I do? I said, I just want my toilets cleaned. And within a couple of days, she had a cleaning service over cleaning my toilets and my whole home. And to that person, mm-hmm. it's so small, but to the person going through it, it's so huge. 
because I came home to clean toilets and a clean house. So, and like I said, just um, don't be afraid to ask for help. Put a team of people around you and just do your very, very best. And I know this is what helped Cody stay positive. I mean, he told me months later after he was, you know, the no evidence of disease, he was like, you have no idea how hard I would shit talk the cancer mm-hmm. and like talk to my body about like, we're going to do this. You can do this. And it's the same thing in our professional lives, right? Like what you focus on expands. So do your very, very, very best to just focus on the positive and the getting through it. And sometimes if all you do in a day is get out of bed, then guess what? You you did it. And I saw a quote a while ago and it said, if all you have to give is 20% and you give 20%, then you gave a hundred. Yeah, that's powerful. And a good reminder of what you focus on grows. That's Mm -hmm. what amplifies for sure. Okay. So two more questions. First, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, best way to do that. So you can find me on Instagram at Brie, like the cheese for, um, anyone is welcome to email me, which is Brie, B-R-I-E at Brianna Algets.com. And Stacey, it's probably easier. You can just put this in the show notes. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. I have a, the Brianna Algets is a bizarre spelling. I have to spell it all the time. Um, I'm also on Facebook as Brianna Algets. So those are probably, and then, um, my podcast, what's the cheese is on Spotify as well as Apple podcasts. Perfect. Okay. So final question, what has been something that has inspired you recently? I mean, recently, the first thing that comes to my mind, and you mentioned it at the very beginning of the call, but being in the quilt Um, Kathy Heller's group has really been inspiring and meeting women like you. And I think we get so focused on the negative because of the news and what's going on in our life, but there's so many amazing people out there that are doing great things. And like I said, um, the biggest thing too, is the reminders in my phone, they go off every morning and it either tells me to breathe or it asks me what I'm grateful for. And that has been a huge help in just staying inspired and keeping myself going. Mm, That's wonderful. And I'm so glad I got to meet you. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you for revealing your secrets about your hair. And uh, (laughs) more importantly, (laughs) thank you for sharing some really honest, vulnerable experiences with our listeners about grief and getting that diagnosis and Um, dealing with it and some positive takeaways. So thank you so much for being here today. Yes. I'm so happy I could be here. I appreciate you. And um, for anybody out there that is crying on the bathroom at 2 Mm AM, crying on the bathroom, the bathroom floor at 2 AM, please, please, please. I'm, I'm here. Reach out to me, message me. I know I'm a stranger, but um, I'm happy to help however I can. So that's so nice. So, so nice. Well, thank you again. Absolutely. Let's get ready to meditate. Hello, and welcome to this meditation to relieve depression and anxious thoughts. Make sure you are in a comfortable position and you will not be disturbed for the duration of the session. 
Bring your focus to your breath and really pay attention to how your lungs expand and contract when you inhale and exhale. Let your breath flow however it wants to right now. Notice your jaw and if you feel any tension here. And as you exhale, allow it to release a little. Inhale again. Imagine that you are breathing in new life. And when you exhale, let all fear completely fade. Take another breath in. And when you exhale, feel yourself let go of any worries. Notice how relaxed you are becoming right now. Let another breath come in naturally, imagining a bright future. And as you let it go, notice how depression eases and fades. A gentle wave of relaxation sweeps over you as you breathe in and out. Allow your breath to flow naturally and let yourself feel calm and peaceful. You deserve this wonderful feeling of serenity. You are open now to receive new thoughts and you open up even more with each breath as you take in fresh energy. Inhale. Exhale. In your own time, whenever you're ready, slowly open your eyes. Place your hand on your heart. Together, we find peace and embrace life one breath at a time. Thank you for joining Living on the Exhale. Make sure to subscribe.